you know, they do a nice job with that, but it's like it's not entertaining. Hi, this is Jet Johnson, FC Dallas fan and lover of all things Third Degree. Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. North Texas SC has kicked off a new season, and the new home jersey is on sale now exclusively on Soccer90.com. Pre-order yours now while supplies last. Third Degree listeners receive 20% off their order when you use code ThirdDegree at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Number please, boss? 156. Hi, it's me, Peter, and here... In this digital workspace, alongside me, first, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hey, this is super digital. Wow. It is very digital. It's the magic of digital. And, uh, of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and somebody you should be giving your money to, the good Buzz mm. Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Peter, I am uh, still recovering from the shock and awe of a Dan Crook training sighting this <gasps> week yes it's true I, I i had a day off work where they were actually training and i was like i will go to that training then yeah <laughs> so was the uh majority of the third degree staff the limit of the media in attendance at said training uh no john arnold was there but other than that that was it ah yeah. the good john arnold of course he was there all right very good well at least there were people there right yeah it's more than there was the week before when there was nobody but me well, since we spoke last time, the good guys traveled to Chicago to face Shakiri, the fire, in the extremely empty giant NFL stadium known as Soldier Field. Uh, and the result was, oh my gosh, the donuts of all donuts. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, we are aware that it is possible that a goalless game of football can be extremely exciting and there's one that's happened recently that i forgetting oh i think it was the what was the game that was so good that was zero zero it was like the nil nil draw of the uh, game of the last decade that just happened a few weeks ago was it the it was a european game what was it was it a champions league game i don't remember i don't either it was so good gosh everybody said man that's the best nil nil draw anyway my point is those things happen but then you get nil-nil draws more like this. And when the two teams combined can't even produce an XG of one together, <laughs> man, that was a slog of a watch. And thank God it was on Univision. Dallas zero, Chicago zero. Buzz, yeah. I'm going to say you get your points on the road and you win at home, you're doing your job. So maybe there shouldn't be too much to fuss about here. Yeah, this is a dour game. Uh, and and only in the context of a tie on the road, a point on the road, is it good. Chicago has blanked like three straight opponents coming in. They've allowed one goal on the year. They're a very, very defensive team, very boring. They basically sit back and let Shakiri try and do something magical. And he subbed out early. So there was very little threat from them. They don't have any threat in transition. Uh, 
uh, you know, just overall not a good game. And you're talking about a Dallas team that was missing from the starting lineup anyway, Jesus and Paul Areola, two of their biggest threats. You're talking about a Dallas team that is also one of the lowest goals allowed teams in this league this year, a team that has emphasized defense early in the season. So this was two teams both playing mid to low block defense and not really capable of breaking the other team down. You ended up with nine shots to five and only one shot on goal each. I mean, it was, there was maybe two real chances in the whole game either way, and it was not high entertainment dollar value. The only value I got from it was watching Dallas go through their paces of their defensive mid-block and making themselves very hard to break down. Before we move into the game, can we talk about the Shakiri situation real quick? Sure. Because this is one of those deals that gets back to the idea of Major League Soccer signing these kind of end-of-career, big-name European stars. Now, I haven't seen a lot of... I, I've, in fact, prior to this, I had seen zero minutes of Shakiri in a fire shirt. Um, and, but what I've read and heard from other people is, is that he's been okay, but not, not outstanding, not stellar. But I'm telling you, as a person that's watched this game for a long time and, and played it at an extremely, extremely low level, <laughs> I, that did not look like a guy. If that game had been Liverpool versus Man U, I don't think he comes out of that game in the 16th minute with whatever clearly small, niggling little calf injury. It, did anybody else... T- see that and pick up on that? You know, it, I, I wouldn't have gone so far as to say it seemed like he wasn't interested. It definitely looked like a guy who wasn't sure if he should be playing. That like maybe he had something bothering him and he shouldn't have, like this was probably the wrong choice, especially when um, like Coach Nico told me that they got caught off guard by the weather. So I'm assuming the same thing probably happened to Chicago. So, you know, maybe 10 minutes in the game when it's starting to sleet, he's probably like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, he's listed now a few days later as day to day. He just, the way he came off and the way he kind of jogged off the field, I just wondered if that had been like a really serious EPL game, if he would have come out of that. And And what I'm getting back to is this idea that, MLS buys guys uh, and brings them in that maybe aren't fully invested in the same way they would be if they were 23 playing for a major European club. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You're not looking at a guy that's motivated to prove, make his bones in his career. You're looking at a guy who's already made his bones and he's just happy to be playing probably, you know, uh, uh, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying this is what he's doing because I've not seen enough of him. I'm just saying that kind of thing. Iguain in Miami, same problem. Gerard in LA, same problem. Yeah. Now, if you hit on Keane in LA, great. If you hit on Chicharito in LA, great. But a lot of the times these things are just a guy picking up a paycheck while he plays some golf. I mean, Suter probably was pretty good for Dallas back in the day, right? I mean, that was kind of the same vibe, right? So yeah, it's possible you can hit it, but you really got to do your homework and make sure you got the right guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and in fairness to Shakir, he had played all of the previous games. I think he played 90 minutes in all those games, so maybe he's just overused or whatever, and it's it's totally legit. It just, I don't know, it just, it, the with between the weather and the speed of the game and kind of the uh, the ugliness yeah. of the situation, you could just get this weird sense. He was like, do I really, sh- should I really be here at this moment? Do, yeah. do they really need me right now? <laughs> not in that weather, they don't, no. Yeah. No, no, yeah. probably yeah. not. Uh, yeah, it was not an attractive game by any means, but I do think, Buzz, the big headline out of this game was your instant question I think you were tweeting about when the lineups came out. Yeah. 
And unfortunately for you, on the heels of you writing that really, really good kind of update and review on Edwin uh, uh, to this point, that Cerio did not start and Facundo did. Um, do we know? I think you ended up talking to Nico and you know why yeah. that took place. Yeah, 100%. It's because of my article. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> no, it's not actually. Uh, it's a, It was multifaceted. Um, the one obvious thing is that even though they had a week off, this coach is particularly worried about uh, workload to, uh, with his team this season, particularly those three midfielders. So uh, Faco, uh, according to coach, had a really, really good week of training, and he wanted to reward that, uh, that, that good training. And he said that Edwin was, feeling, was looking a little comfortable, that Edwin was feeling pretty good about himself and pretty good about his position. And he wanted to um, make a point in a way that not at Edwin specifically, that anybody can get a game off and can sit down. And that, you know, not that Evan needed to be sat down, but if this guy's playing as good as he can, and I'm going to sit him down, then anybody can be sat down. Um, and the last one was, as I mentioned before, that Chicago's not a team that transitions quickly. Uh, they, are, they, they build slowly. So there wasn't really a threat of somebody going to run by Faco. So it's a game that makes some sense in terms of if I want to get him in and get Edwin a game off, this is a good matchup to do that. I don't need Edwin's side to side endless work rate engine. So um, it's all of those things combined and nothing to do with my article, you know, just multiple factors that led to this was a good opportunity to get a guy in there. Um, and that's a good thing actually to have some squad rotation to keep guys in check. Hey, don't forget there's other dudes here playing well, you know, you got to bring it every day. So all part of it. All right, so let's talk about Facundo for a second because uh, I did. I ended up not watching the game till today on the DVR, and I watched it without sound because I don't speak Spanish. Um, and for whatever reason, the English version doesn't come across on my DVR. Uh, so I watched it silently and uh, admittedly distracted for long stretches of what would ended up being an extremely boring 90 minutes of soccer. But I was watching just intently enough to ask the following question. Should Facundo have even been in that game for a full 90 minutes? I thought he was really close to getting a second yellow and probably should have given up the PK. I thought that was a pretty decent shout for Chicago on the penalty shout. Yeah, it's it's interesting. that I didn't think he had a very good game. He looked like he was a split second off the decision-making pace in the midfield, you know, and, and went in hard a couple of times on guys. I, di I didn't like that. Uh, you know, definitely was a chance – that was going to be a penalty. I, I don't know whether I think it was or not, but it definitely was close enough that it could have been for sure. So it's not what I would have called an ideal game for him. You know, basically I just thought he was an average MLS holding mid and, and he's not going to get any better, you know, because of how old he is. So, and Edwin is. So, you know, there's no reason why Edwin's not going to be the guy in that spot for the majority of the time. But I thought he was okay in relatives to like, I need a guy that can play some games. He wasn't so bad that you can't put him back in there. Definitely bad enough that I don't want him in there a lot. So that's, that, that's kind of where I'm at on that one. It was just mediocre. Uh, but I thought that who, the two that did look good, at least in the context of this game uh, were Paxton and Cervania. Yeah. Cervania. I didn't, I, I like you didn't get to watch the game till this morning. So I, I felt like that was too late in the week to do a three things. Cause many people have written about the game already. Um, that's an exaggeration, obviously, but I, Brandon Cervania, I thought was my man of the match. Actually. I thought he did an immense amount of work. Uh, he and Paxton both sat 
deeper when Faka was in there. They were noticeably back in that mid-block look. Again, that's that's either a reaction to Faka or that's the idea that we've seen from this team on the road, which is they want to kill the game for about 60 to 70 minutes and then kind of go for it a little bit more. And they sort of sit into this mid-block and it almost looks like a 4-5-1 a lot of the game, particularly when they didn't have Jesus up top and Frank O'Hara is more static. So they weren't looking to spring as quickly. So those guys were both sitting in and I thought Brandon did a really nice job defensively assisting. Uh, he was one of the highest rated players for the team, depending on whatever what side she looked at. Um, Paxton was also good, but I thought Brandon was particularly good in this case. And the minute they brought Edwin in, both those guys stepped up about 10 yards further up the field, back to the normal shape, and the team immediately got more aggressive going forward, and it was noticeable that that was the difference. Uh, other observations, uh, Frank O'Hara up top. Guy just, unfortunately, I, I appreciate his effort, but he does look like a guy playing one age group too young Yeah, for def- himself. Yeah, definitely a guy who the game has passed by. Um, the, the difference, that he does know how to play the, the role Jesus plays, and so he, he tries to do that. And you, you can watch that front line. It almost looks inverted where he's deeper. And he does build and he does hold and he does facilitate the build in the same way as Jesus but then he doesn't have Jesus's motor and explosion back into the gap. And that's the difference. That's, that's all that matters with, between those two guys is that one thing, that one quality. And that's all the, that, that it keeps Dallas from being in this game effectively uh, uh, capable of scoring. The only way I felt like there was even going to be a chance was Velasco do something special by himself. Cause even like Obreon, who has the verticality when he would get forward, there was nobody else to get involved with because Franco Carr couldn't get back up there with him. So I, it, it, as much as it's like it's it fits stylistically, you know, he's capable of fitting stylistically. It's just there's just and there really is anybody else. I mean, the third choice is is uh, Benny Regic, and that's just not gonna go either. I don't think so. No, it's a problem actually. You know. Yeah, there was a. I mean, I. I my personal concern about Nico's system is, is that it's not a system set up to create tons of opportunities, even when you've got your best players in there. But with Obreon and Frank O'Hara at the same time, for different reasons, they both tend to kludge the system up even worse. And, and part of why that game was so start-stop in many ways, I think were related specifically to those two guys and Facundo as well. Um, it was such a weird, stuttery game all the way for both sides all the way through. It just I'm, I'm sure the weather had yeah. something to do with that and and all of it. It was just it was odd. Obreon, again, was so Jadir. I do want to say something nice about him. That pass that he made in like the 73rd minute uh, that almost sprung Jesus mm-hmm. uh, was a fantastic pass. So I, I don't want everybody to think I just blow bad on uh, Jadir all the time because that was a good moment. But man, the rest of it was really hard to watch. Yeah, he he like I said, you know, when when he has somebody that can work with him, when when Jesus is up there and Jesus is, you know, he's going by Jesus in the lateral way that he does. Jesus has the ability to recover and get there and, and and combine with him. Velasco probably has that, but is still probably not played with Obreon a lot in order to know exactly how to do that yet. That's probably a work in progress. So um, Obreon, as always with Obreon, there's the pro and the con, the good and the bad. You know, in particular, This one in particular was bad until Jesus came in, and then it got considerably better. As you say, that one pass in particular was very nice. 
All right. Now, Dan, we know uh, from the discussion prior to recording that you were not able to watch the game. Has anything we've said in the last 10, 15 minutes made you want to go back and watch the game? Uh, no, absolutely not. Okay. We're just checking. I think sure I'm you're... just going to delete it from my DVR right now. <laughs> All right. You might want to do that. All right. Yeah. So I also wanted to make sure you hadn't dozed off. Okay. Uh, I do want to talk about Velasco because every opportunity to see Alan Velasco play is one of high interest for me. Um, and a couple of notes about this. Uh, he clearly is still figuring out the league. Uh, and it, and it's, pretty clear to me he's going to have to work a little harder at winning his duels he was probably beaten in his duels a little more than I I think we all would like to see but again that's probably a lot of it's just figuring out the league and the type of defenders he's having to face yeah part of it too is that he was the most fouled guy in the game you know there's there's not a lot of I think he got fouled six times or something like that. Yeah. You know, he, he did win his duels at 60%, statistically speaking, which is not terrible. Um, you know, it, he's so small, he gets knocked over a lot and he gets fouled a lot. And I, I do worry about, you know, the, the idea that a guy that skillful, you want him to get the MVP's type protect, protection from the referees to look out for that kind of stuff. Um, but I think I think you're right that he will learn as, as time goes forward, he will learn in this league who – is going to be a problem in that in that way on who how to get away from people and what kind of calls he's going to get and not get, you know. So it, it, it's it, this is this is part of why we talk about guys taking like six months to adapt. I mean, imagine where he's going to be when he gets that six months under his belt, right? I mean, that's oh yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty exciting. It's, it's it's fun to watch and it's exciting to watch because he and Paxton both are really good at making and executing passes into open space and really allowing this team to move forward and positively. Um, uh, Paxton, on a few occasions early in the game, just made really, really smart and executed smart passes to players who were clearly in the open space and kind of breaking uh, Chicago down a little bit. But then, of course, it all kind of fell apart in the final third. Uh, uh, Velasco is very good in that same way. And you were speaking about fouls. I'm convinced more now than ever that VAR has a silent, like, hey, help me out here system going on. Because that foul in the uh, in the game, I think it was like the 70-something or 80-something minute where Velasco gets fouled by that, um, what's that guy's name? It ends up getting the yellow card. It was yeah. over by the benches, and the guy kind of turns Velasco over. And he calls the foul, and he comes over, and then there's an extended period of time, and when the camera comes back from the replay, you can see Jesus kind of berating the official, and the and the official's like, hold on, hold on, give me a second, give me a chance, and he shows the guy yellow. I'm convinced more than ever that the center officials are utilizing guys on replay to help them if they've missed yellows. Now, that's a component of VAR that isn't supposed to be in the system, but I'm more convinced than ever because I see this sometimes in England and other leagues that that system is being used for, as a tool f- uh, for executing those things. Yeah, it, there's no question that both the fourth official and the both uh, assistant referees do that for sure. So yes. it, it's entirely possible that the, that pause is the, is the fourth official saying he totally got him or the linesman. Or, and, and I honestly think, I'm with you actually, I think that the... Uh, the VAR official who is an official is working with the entire team. And maybe he's not looking at replay, but maybe he's looking at, you know, the play as it happens and saying, you know, 
that one's got to be looked at or not looked at or, or, or like, oh, that's got to have to be, you might want to take a look, you know, think about the card there if your guys are chiming in. I mean, I think it's a yeah. team thing, you know? Well, it may be. The only reason why I'm, I'm, I am putting the conspiracy theory that it's related to video replay in this particular instance, and I've seen this in some other leagues, everybody pay attention to this in the future and see if I'm wrong, is that his showing of the yellow card just maybe coincidentally coincides with the uh, completed reshowing of the replay of the incident. Yeah, yeah, you might be right. And yeah. I just wonder if maybe somebody's watching the replay going, yeah, that should be a yellow and saying that to him. Because I've seen, Dan, have you ever noticed that in any other league or any time you've watched it all? From a commentator? No, no, no. Uh, the referee showing a yellow card, but it seems like it takes him a while to show the yellow card, and it always seems to happen after the replay has been shown. Like maybe like the fourth official sees the replay and goes down. Yeah, that's probably a yellow. You missed it. I vaguely remember a referee getting in trouble because they glanced at a scoreboard and while a replay was playing, it led to a red card decision. But yeah, yeah, oh, that's likely. Yeah, look at the scoreboard. They're so they're so adamant about video replay not being like a live component of the game that. I mean, most leagues now don't even, you know, they won't let the the scoreboard show any of that sort of stuff. All right. Well, I, you're not going to go back and watch this game, but if for any reason anybody wants to go back, just tell me it's not weird that the guy takes so long to issue what we all thought was a pretty obvious yellow. It only happens after the replay is shown on television. So just FYI, just a, a side note that I picked up on. The other thing I wanted to talk about Velasco is, is this interesting note. Do you know at this moment in time, Velasco is tied for second in the league in nutmegs with four? I did not know that. He is. He's tied for second in the league with four. He com- he executed three of them in the game against Chicago. Now, I'm working diligently to try to find out if there's some way to know what the most numbers of successful megs by one player in a game is, but three is a pretty high number. Currently, uh, Derusi and Austin is in number one with five, and then Reynoso and Zellerayan uh, uh, in uh, Columbus are tied with Allen at four, and Acosta at Cincinnati at three. And that got me digging into a rabbit hole because I think <laughs> MLS needs to come up with a new award, which is the MLS Meg Master of the Year. Uh, for the person that executes the most nutmegs in a season. And it turns out that it, if my record searching is correct, they didn't start tracking nutmegs until the year 2018. Okay? Yeah. All right. You with me? Anybody yeah, interested yeah. in this? No, no, I'm, I'm okay. with you. I'm, I don't Dan, are you interested in this? Are you napping still? Yeah, I'm interested. Okay. You don't <laughs> sound very interested, but I'm going to go with this anyway. This is going to be like the sax dad that wasn't recorded until like 97 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yes. In 2018, <laughs> the, the debut MLS Meg Master of the Year was uh, Quintero, who was playing for Minnesota at that particular year. He was in first place with 18 nutmegs. Okay. Completed in a season. If you want to know... Uh, Pablo Arangis was the highest numbered uh, Dallas player at number 43 in the league. I think he had three that season. 2019, it was Carlos Vela for LAFC with 13. The most uh, highest FCD person was uh, Barrios that year. In fact, Barrios set an FCD record that year with eight, and he was sixth in the league. 
In 2020, it was Quintero again when he was playing for Houston. He had eight that season. Uh, Brian Reynolds was number 33 in the league with three. And last year, the number one uh, Meg Master of the Year again was uh, Reynoso up in Minnesota. Not again, but a guy from Minnesota. It was Reynoso was 17. And all the way down at number 65 was the top FCD Meg Master, one Frank O'Hara with three. Well, I feel like uh, Velasco will be higher on the list at least than some previous Dow yes. players. Yeah. We may actually, in the club's first, the, the, for the first time in club history, we may actually have an MLS Meg Master of the Year contender. Well, considering he's only played three games, too, that's pretty, uh, you know, and he'll get much higher rate, you know, once he gets more games on his belt. I just love a good Meg. Yeah, me too. By the way, he is. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, Dan yeah. does not like the nutmeg. Dan's out on it. Uh, by the way, Velasco's been fouled <laughs> eight Sorry, times. Sorry, I to kick him ass today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Velasco's been <laughs> fouled eight times in three games, and the, the league leader is uh, Cesar Araujo, the Orlando playmaker, who's got 21 in six games. So he's a little off that pace, but he's definitely high up there. And if he continues to be more and more impactful, I think he'll start getting targeted. So that'll be something to keep a track of this season. Maybe I'm just overestimating everybody's love of the nutmeg. I thought everybody loved no, a good nutmeg. I, no, no, I think that's a great stat. I mean, I don't think it tells you a lot, but I think it's going to be a fun stat no, people can a, get behind. Yeah. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want to get awarded the nutmeg, the, the Meg Master of the Year award at the end of the season? Uh, apparently Dan. Apparently Dan does not. Dan, do you have a, like a, a just a personal problem? Have you been nutmeg too many times in your <laughs> own life that you just hate it that much? No, no, I'm always careful. Uh just, uh, nah, nah. You know, you always get that little, one little flashy shit who tries to nutmeg everyone, or <laughs> or even worse, to like, pana, pana, pana. And then you, you know, you end up two-footing them, and then they get upset about it, and, you know, things just get out of hand then. Yeah. All right. So you're not anti-nutmeg? Uh, I'm not anti-nutmeg. You know, it's always, it's always really satisfying when you, when you pull one out. Okay. Hmm. Are you excited or enthused at all that Dallas has a Meg Master of the Year contender? Uh, this sounds like a terrible name. <laughs> yeah, the name, the branding needs a little work. Meg Master. What, Meg Master? You don't like that? I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was great. I'm yeah. running with it. It's my idea. Yeah, it's your idea. Screw That's you, true. people. Go I'm going to make it work. Yeah, you're like the Jeff uh, guy. Call it what you want. <laughs> That's right. I made it up. I'm going to call <laughs> yeah, it whatever, it's your thing. whatever I want. Yeah. The other thing that dawned on me, because uh, they executed zero shots on goal, I still have no idea exactly how good our new goalkeeper is because yeah. he never has to do anything. They had one technically. Yeah. He has six saves on the year, which is remarkable. I mean, that's what I think that you cannot talk about the FC Dallas this season without talking about the way they limit opportunities. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible that you have a keeper through six games of one shot, like one save a game, basically that's remarkable. Good defense. And it has to do with the system and it has to do with where they're playing it. It's all on coaching. Cause it's almost the same guys. You can't put it on Nanu being the difference. Same set of player Farfan versus Hollingshead is a big difference. I should give you credit, people credit for that one. Cause that's a offensive to defensive swing. So that could be part of it. You know, Edwin's in there full time. That's part of it. Martinez is in there full time. Maybe understanding the system with Dan was it you that pointed out to me this week, the idea that, you know, Martinez knowing how the Spanish style and the Spanish system that this coach wants to use probably is a big factor in 
why he's been the choice so much this year, you know, the guy that, that was, was something we were talking about at yeah. practice. Uh, I know, I mean, I know Nico's big on, you know, the the people that can translate his vision. So that being Paul Ariola, Paxton Pomacal, Jesus Ferreira. So it, it makes total sense that, you know, what his fellow countrymen, someone that's come through La Liga, well, you know, the, the overall uh, LFP system, would be kind of a natural fit for that as well. Yeah, that just goes back to the idea of limiting opportunities and limiting chances. It's not just that, like, Paz has made some good saves, too, when the moments he's required to. That's going to be the thing for him. Any Dallas keeper this year is, can you be in it and focused and ready when the chance does come? Yeah, well, I do think we were also worried and freaked out about the front end of this team. Yeah, We all know a big problem last year was the back half of the team, and they really have just made incredible strides in in correcting a lot of those problems from last season. Uh, and maybe we don't spend enough time talking about how much improved they are defensively, for whatever the reason. It just It's yeah. uh, significantly better. Now, I do want to mention, because I, I know that we've all been kind of back and forth 50-50 on this, uh, where is the nanometer uh, running at these days, Buzz? Well, I thought he was, you know, took a step forward in this game, so I will give him the credit of he has taken a step forward in each game I've watched. I still don't think it's particularly great, um, it's just average to me, you know, there's my, my problem there isn't that he's not okay. It's that I don't see enough to think I wanted to stifle the progression of a, a guy, a domestic guy, a guy that you've invested a couple of years in, you know, I, I think if, if, you know, granted, like any other player, he'll need time to adapt to the league until he gets it really figured out. So it may be that, you know, at the at the two thirds way of this season, he may be just crushing it, Nanu. But I just don't. Right now, I don't see enough that makes me think that he is worth whatever they're paying for and worth whatever he might actually cost. If you do eventually want to buy him, you know, for a guy that's a little later in his career, he's like, you know, he's more of a. Everybody on the back line actually is a relatively you know prime of career kind of player. Even Farfan is a little bit younger. Is not crazy younger so that could all be a factor in the stability but i don't think that the stability is that different from when tomasi started the games at the beginning of the year versus when nano come in i don't think it's changed anything so you know just change for change sake sometimes to me is not 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 necessarily the good idea you know that's what i feel like it is Let's talk about that uh, unfortunate moment very late in the game. Nanu uh, very nicely traps a fantastic ball as he makes a fantastic run into the box. Should he have passed? Or should he have just been uh, a a little bit better in his shooting? He should have carried it another, you know, touch to me. You you want to, there's no defender coming at you from the middle yet. The, The center backs have not converged. The keeper is staying at home. So you want to, for me, you want to carry one more dribble, if you will, one more touch, if you will, in order to make the keeper do something. Either convince yourself completely that he's going to stay at home or a center back comes or he comes and then you can shoot closer or pay, play it across to Jesus, who was mad that he didn't get the ball. But I was like, Jesus, your center back was still with you. Unless, until that center back comes, then you can lay it off to a wide open Jesus. So I would, I wanted another six or seven yards carry and then 
Hmm. Layoff or shoot. That's what I wanted him to do. So not shoot, not pass, but take an extra touch. Yeah. Interesting. Because he had he had another 15 yards, 12 yards of space before he would have been closed down by either the keeper or a center back would have come. And so I think you wait. You, you wait for the defense to adapt and make a mistake. And if they never come, then, you know, the angle is going to open for you because the keeper is going to be deep that deep or he starts to come and the goal opens up or he starts the center back comes and the center back the center forward opens up yeah it's rare that i tell you that i wanted a guy to keep going and hold it longer but that was a rare case of where i did hmm. okay um anybody else we want to talk about from the nil nil draw up in soldier field the very very empty lowest attendance <laughs> of the weekend soldier field well, I want to tell a story that I'm annoyed about because I think you have some information on it because you didn't listen to the commentators and I listened to the English commentators on um, on the on the uh, Univision game. The and and they they when the, early in the game they're talking about Farfan coming to the team and they said something about FC Dallas accommodating Ryan Hollingshead's request to go back to California and I thought, what are you talking about? That's not what happened. And I know that mm-hmm. you have information on specifically on that. So I wanted you to get a chance to chime in. Well, yeah. And I think we've even mentioned this on the pod uh, that I have from an extremely good source that Ryan was uh, totally unaware that he was being traded and it was a surprise. Now, whether or not he's ultimately happy about that, I think we all can figure out that going back to LA may work out for him uh, in many ways and aspects, but he did not ask for a trade. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, he didn't even know it was happening until they told him he was being traded. Uh, yeah. At least according to my source. So. Yeah, I would. I would not be at all shocked that he's not happy to be back in California. I'm sure that he is. But like to claim that he asked to go and asked for a trade is that's false. That's not true. So you know, I, I'm sure that they got their narrative from you know some website or whatever. Or who knows where they looked it up or. I mean, I'd hate to think someone's passing along false information from the organization. That that would not be good. No, I mean, there was, I think, I think a lot of people just assumed. And yeah. I think early when that first thing happened, there was a lot of uh, speculation that he had asked to be traded or said, hey, if you guys are going to move me, I'd love to go back to California kind of thing. Um, and maybe that's where somebody trying to do some prep for a broadcast just came up a little short. But uh, no, that is, in fact, not the case. Yeah, you know, right. To be true. Yeah, not that we don't yeah. really like Farfan, but it's like, let's be honest about how these things work. You know, you can't make up these narratives that aren't true. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, and this, and Dan, Dan's really good about having a better outlay across the league. I'm, I'm going to ask the question again. Is there another signing on another MLS team this year that has paid off as well for that team specific to the position they were hired to fill than Farfan has for Dallas? I'm not sure there is. I, I can't think of one. Um, I mean, your big hopes, uh, especially, funnily enough, Casper Shabilko for uh, for Chicago or any of the the ones that San Jose have signed, and there's really not been that much output from from any of those. I man, I just watched that kid play, and I think he's really good defensively, and and his uh, kind of working into the team into the attack is kind of happening a little by little. I And I just, I don't see him put too many uh, wrong foots in a game. And I, and I, as I just think it through across the league, that may end up being one of the best signings of the year league-wide. The, the only one I can think of that might be close is um, Sebastian Legette with New England. Yeah. Okay, that's a good, yeah. yeah. And, 
he's, he's a really excellent player, you know, and uh, that was a really good team that, that got better. So, uh, you know, that's, yeah. if that's what pushes them over the line, uh, you know, I originally was thinking Altador with them, but he doesn't start most games where legit does, you know, and that's a legit signing. Wow. <laughs> Oh no! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Buzz, I had to wreck it. Man. How how does he not wear number two? What is wrong with that guy? It's ridiculous. Well, then you you'd get pissy about him being a midfielder wearing that number. Who? Sebastian Legette, because it would be too Legette. Oh my god, that would be the best. Why did you do that like two in a <laughs> row? Yeah. No, that would be way too would legit. That, <laughs> would that get an exception? A Buzz character yeah. uh, jersey yes. number exception cl- Absolutely. paper? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like if your last name was Zero, like, you okay, you can wear Zero. I'm okay with that if your last name is Zero, mm. you know. So kind of like a, uh, what's his name, Dempsey wearing two. Yeah, well, that's Dempsey... His nickname Deuce is because he wore two, which is backwards. But you know, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I just thought it was because he was a bit of a shit at times. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wow. He just messed with the goat. What is he doing? I don't know. He's clearly not yeah. from here. Told you, uh, allergies are just kicking my ass today. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 extra lifeless today, Dan. I'm worried yeah. about you. It's spring. We oh, really? uh, okay. Well, uh, as we said, Chicago zero, Dallas zero. You got the point on the road. That's good. Uh, Dallas's next game comes up this weekend. Um, newly married Michael Barrios comes to town yeah. with the Colorado Rapids. That game kicks off at 730. We also saw on the interwebs that Michael Barrios, as I said, is married. He got yeah. wedded to a woman slightly taller than him which isn't a surprise. I mean, my, yeah, isn't everybody? My question is, yeah. is that the same woman that he was in a relationship with that we all saw uh, selling knockoff uh, tennis shoes and purses on Facebook? I, I honestly don't know. I can't keep up with that kind of stuff. Do you remember stuff. that? I, no, in fact, I actually thought he was already married. I don't know why I thought that. I just, I was really surprised. I, I thought maybe when I saw those pictures, I was like, oh, you renewed his vows. And they were like, no, you got married. I was like, oh. Man, I was out of the loop on that one. Do you remember one. that story, Dan, about his girlfriend or wife selling knockoff stuff online on Facebook? Uh, vaguely. But, yeah, she uh, had a Facebook page, and you could go get like knockoff Nikes and Adidas and Louis Vuitton stuff. And then when it kind of got out that it was out there, it mysteriously disappeared. If I remember the story bike, correctly. Dude. Yeah, everyone's got to grind these yep. days. Side hustle. Side hustle, yeah. I do. Dan, if you could sell Dan, if it. you could sell a fake something, <laughs> what would it be? Hope. Oh, wow. Oh, got really deep there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Lord. technically, I mean we we do marketing, so it's uh fake something, <laughs> surely. Sorry, I didn't mean to dump that on your lap, Dan, that big old bomb right there. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we want to talk about here? Uh, Pepe and Jesus on the U.S. men's national team is scribbled in the red crayon on the yeah. run sheet. So what's yeah. that about, Buzzard? Well, I just wanted – this week was fascinating to me because we had the three games, and it was Pepe, then it was Jesus, then it was Pepe. Uh, and then I was listening to the broadcast, and um, all the commentators on that broadcast were speculating that like, if you had the World Cup like this week – that Jesus would probably start over Pepe. And I was watching 
you know, Jesus play, come come back immediately and, and thinking about how, you know, if things are going well for Dallas, he's going to score a fairly good amount of goals. Whereas Pepe's gone to a team, and we talked about this when he made the move, where he does not get service. And Pepe needs service to score. Pepe's a great goal scorer, but he doesn't do – Jesus can dribble two dudes and score. Pepe doesn't do that. So and now he's not even the, not and now that, he's not even the striker. Yeah. He's kind of playing this weird, right. wide, like super wide right striker. It's weird formation. Yeah, well, that's what Lucci did with him too. When they had you know somebody else was playing striker and they were trying to get heavy minutes, as he did the same thing. So, you know, I I I think you can't help but wonder when you're looking at the situations with what are we eight months from the World Cup? Seven and a half, just under it's seven good. and a half months. Yeah, right. So. Uh, which one of those, like you would on paper, right? The most people would be like, oh yeah, do the Europe. That's better. Is it? Maybe long-term, I would agree with you, but short-term, we talked about this at the time. Did Pepe make the right choice if he wants to be, I don't even mean like at this point, maybe not even the starter. I mean, like he could play himself out of the roster if he doesn't get service and get goals for Augsburg, right? Because Greg likes, Berhalter likes form. Well, at this point, he's essentially Josh Sargent. Right, right. Ugh, that's terrible. And 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 the and the way that the national team likes to play is the same way FC Dallas plays. So Jesus is playing in the same system that the head coach of the national team wants, playing the same movement based striker, build based striker. You know they they object when you call it a false nine, so that's fine. Movement based striker. It's the exact same system, yeah. so it's easy to change back and forth. Pepe's playing in a different system, different ball game completely so well you know, when i i can't help when yeah. i turned on the osberg game the other day they were playing this weird 4-4-2 setup it, he wasn't playing as a wing buzz in a in the sense that you're oh, thinking of it they're playing as two yeah. strikers and and they have for defensive reasons they have the, in this particular game against uh uh was it Werder bremen i can't remember um what's the team brooks is on uh not Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg. Yeah, yeah, I think they were playing Wolfsburg. Um, uh, they had him like playing way out wide on the right, and he was just not near the box enough, at least during the part of the game that I saw. And I'm just telling you, I, I've seen enough yeah. Ricardo Pepe to know when he's got like negative body language, and it's like he's soaked in it right now. Now, apparently yeah. later in the game, he had some more opportunities that maybe he should have done more with. I didn't see that part, but for the you know 30 minutes of the game I watched, Man, he just essentially. I spent thirty minutes watching him just jog and run around and not really get have much interaction, if any, with the ball. Like literally in the thirty minutes I watched the game, I think he touched the ball twice. Yeah, you know the, this season is going to end, and Augsburg, if they stay up, things are going to change, or maybe he might. Who else get another team? You know, so there, it's not the end of the world, but I just can't help but think, like right this minute, boy, it sure looks like Jesus is in a better position to get himself into that team in the first place and maybe even be the guy, you know, that's, that's in a lot of ways, that's a turning of the tables, at least in a short term. Yeah, and it's a, it, it is a really weird situation to imagine yourself in. If you are Ricardo or his family or his representatives where, or in, in, in at the same time being the hunts and uh, Zanata 
and this opportunity, which is what, where do you balance this? Is it the $20 million? Is it the massive increase in salary? Is it the, the idea, the premise of going to Europe, Europe, balancing against the realities of what kind of team am I going to? Are they any good? Do they fit me stylistically? And I always wonder how much of that really goes into the conversation or is it, oh, here's a team in Europe that wants me. Oh my God, they're willing to pay us how much for me? Uh, and then, yeah. I, of course, I have to go, no matter what other component does or doesn't fit, right? And I always yeah. and, and and we talk about this all the time. We talked about it back with the Breck Shea story. Like we all knew Breck going to Stoke was the dumbest thing in the entire world, but there was money on the table and an opportunity. So why not do it? Yeah, it seems like a lot of times these decisions get made based on like, look, it is important that they want you. That's sure, huge, but it's not just the whole organization. It's the coach specifically that wants you because you know you you have to get into a place where he thinks you're the answer to some problem he has so that you're going to be in all the time you know obviously money's a factor obviously the, the the reputation of the club or the ability to move on from there if it's a stepping stone club is important but i'm with you like you know in hindsight we can look at reynolds with roma that yeah. that was the wrong fit for him you know which i don't know that we knew that in the moment because they really, really liked him organizationally, coach and thing, and then they fired the coach, and so now it's a nightmare for him, you know, in terms of where he's gone. So, you know, and, and that's a total opposite example where, you know, he was on the verge if he'd have played in with Roma this year, he might have gotten himself in that right back job, and now he's like fifth because he's not playing. Yeah. So, you know, you could, there's you can look at any guy on that's left as he's Dallas. Tanner was in a spot where. He could have maybe played himself in, and he's gone to a team where he hasn't really broken him like Busio has, and so Busio's getting choices ahead of him. Now, I know Tanner's really happy where he is, so I don't think he was thinking like I was in the mix for this World Cup cycle or anything like that. So, you know, it's everything's relative. You know, everybody's different. But, you know, we've seen a lot of examples lately of Dallas guys moving that haven't exactly worked out like you wanted. Yeah, I'd be super interested in a documentary or a book if something is, Dan, maybe you, you're aware of something that really digs into the whole universe of player transfers, sales, uh, and the history of it and, you know, how it changed with the Bosman ruling and all of that stuff. I don't know if any of that kind of currently exists. And if it doesn't, man, I would, I think I would consume it uh, in large quantities if it was. I'm pretty sure there's some BBC stuff out there. I mean, they've uh, had had a lot of good documentaries over the years about the transfer market, following, you know, some of the mega agents around, like Jonathan Barnett. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll see if anybody knows any and would like to recommend them. I will accept them gladly. Uh, Buzz, you did go to training yesterday. I know you're now yep. much love Tuesday training, and you got to talk to Nico. Any oh. any insight from? Mr. Estevez, you'd like to share with us. Yes, actually, the first thing is uh, Paul Ariola. I think we should talk about him. He is day-to-day, as they would say. On Tuesday, he increased the amount of training he participated in up to about a third of the game, and then they had him run on the side. Um, coach said that they, you know, with that step up, they were going to test him and check him after the session and see how it goes, and if everything went clean, then on Wednesday he was going to step in even more. So coach said that they're they're anticipating that he will be in the decision process, which is their code for makes the bench at least. You know, he's in the 18, basically. So um, he did tell me that the, 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 the stuff with Paul has mainly just been a precaution. They're not particularly worried about it. So I'm going to assume at this point that he is available and there's a good chance, a pretty good chance that he'll start. 
Um, Jesus obviously, I think, would be back in there. So I think you're going to see, you know, with the small caveat that he is coming back off of a little bit of a protective bench, not benching, uh, sit out. I, I think Ariel will be available. And worst case scenario, knock on wood, it'll be a bench performance. But I, I'm actually going to predict the start. Everybody else looks pretty much back to normal. Um, there's not a lot of injuries right now, so everything's going really well. I did ask, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of debate about the five sub rule in our discord and on, on this podcast. So I asked Nico if he liked it and he says that he does like it because for two reasons, I know, I know, but he's a coach. So of course he likes it. He likes it because it allows him to effectively do squad rotations without benching a guy outright, right? He can just lift Paxson at 60 minutes and lift Areola at 60 minutes, you know, when you got guys that are, you know, slightly banged up or whatever. Or if you want to do some rotation, you can bring Brandon out early one game, Paxton out early the next game. And that, since you only have one sub for them in Siki. So you have those kinds of things, which he likes. And then the other thing he said was that up until now, they, FC Dallas, and this is actually a thing I hate, they, FC Dallas, have been working on one particular system of play. And he said once they get it down, he wants to bring in a second system of play. And so the five subs allows him as a coach to make a single substitution moment, bring in three guys and fundamentally change the Dallas system and play in a completely different way. So like as a coach, he thinks that's great. I think it sucks. <laughs> I hate that. I, I think it's cool that you have the ability to do that. I think you need to be able to do it with who you have on the field. That's the nature of soccer to me is that idea of the guys on the field are going to play, you know? So those are for him why he likes it, and I understand them completely. I just disagree completely, <laughs> or, or wish that he couldn't do those things because there are things I don't specifically want to have happen. Yeah, you, you uh, and I are on yeah. the same page. I am not a fan of the five substitutes. Um, I I understand why coaches love it and and players like it. I I what I get frustrated by is the uh, suggestion that it's all about player welfare. Uh, yeah. and I just call, I just, I just think, look, guys, <laughs> yeah. if you're, if, if we're going to do this, let's all be honest about why we're doing it and quit calling it something that it's not. Because if you were truly invested in player welfare, you would institute a rule that would help all the players, not just a few select players in any given moment yeah. in time. Cause there are other models of how you could solve for player welfare, uh, that would be no less or more um, fair across the board, but that's not what they're doing. Uh, and yeah. that's what pisses so, me off. As an FC Dallas fan, what what this reason I wanted to bring it up specifically was because as an FC Dallas fan, as you're watching the games going forward, keep an eye on Nico subbing because no longer is it just going to be like a guy got tired or a guy is playing bad. You're now going to see him use substitutions as part of the squad rotation. So when you see guys come out at 60 minutes or so, don't necessarily assume it's because that dude wasn't doing good. It might just be 100% of a workload kind of thing because he now has the luxury to do that. And then also look for these tactical shifts. It's not always as simple as, hey, Seuss for Frank O'Hara, an active, more talented player. It might be, in some other cases, it might be to go to that 4-2 four, four that they've done early in the season, which they do sometimes. 
So those there's a different kinds of subs you're going to be seeing this season with these five subs. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize that as a fan. Look for okay, it. this is a good time to ask this question because, you know, in terms of in using substitutions for player rotation and so forth, Dan, I don't know if you've heard anything. Is there any word that they are or, or they ever began looking for additional supplemental help in the middle of the field, i.e. being able to spell Cervania and Paxton outside of the draft pick? Still haven't heard anything on that front. Hmm. Yeah, as far as I know, it's just Siki. The the adaptation they've made is that they've started using Khalil and El Makur in that spot in that eight position. And part of that is because Khalil is now even further down the death chart at wing because of Velasco and Ariel coming here. Um, you know, but he also has a little bit of size, which they are light on in the midfield. Uh, and if he can play that position and and bring other respectability to it, I think in the short run, certainly you're going to see him get opportunities in that is that that's basically how they've short run solved that idea is have Khalil play in there. Don't forget Nikki Hernandez too also plays in there. I don't necessarily think Nikki's ready to take that role in on a game and he's not making benches by any stretch. He's actually a guy I think needs to go out on loan somewhere to a championship team, but um, you know, so short-term Khalil's the answer. Other than that, they're waiting for Thomas. Yeah. I was going to ask, what is, uh, what is the latest on old Thomas Roberts? Same as we were, you know, his people tell me that they're really happy and the club really likes him and they want, they're trying to develop him long-term, but there's no buy. And and I even asked Nico about that. Like, are you going to, you know, are you waiting to have Thomas back and looking this, you looking forward to get him in? And he's like, well, I'm not even sure whether his team's going to want to keep him or not. I don't even know if I'm getting him. And I'm like, come on, you're, you don't have a buy. Of course you're getting him back. You know, even if it's for a very short period of time, maybe they're going to come in with a fat offer after that. But like right now you're getting him back. So you know, he was kind of noncommittal about it. Yeah. To be fair. And so, so getting him back is July when there's after their season's over. Yeah, basically. Yeah. You know, as long as it takes him to come home effectively. So he'll be, he could, when their season ends, he could be here within a couple of days easily back in training. Okay. I think technically it's end of May. Yeah, probably. I think. Yeah. So not that far away, actually. Okay. All right. Well, um, Dan, let me just give you a slight, uh, nudge make sure you're still here and awake because we're at the end of the podcast okay. now you don't have to do anything it's over i know okay i want to talk about the dallas cup talk oh the dallas cup. oh i sorry i totally forgot yes it's an entire section of the podcast i f- i failed to get to it is that time of year it's the best it's the best part of the season it is dallas cup season it's yeah. back and it's all its glory or pretty much all its glory well, you know that I'm concerned about the FC Dallas part of it, but you know I, I would highly recommend any of it to anybody. You know, there's a lot of the Cotton Bowl is always fun that opening day with the with the parade and and usually some relatively good games. You know, the super group is back, which is excellent. It's a pretty small super group, but it will be a really high level of play, I, I assume. The Super 14s didn't come back, which is probably is related to COVID as much as anything. But the GA Cup is happening, and the 17s and the 15s are both in that one. There's a bunch of good teams in that thing. Um, and and if you want to look for good FC Dallas specific games to watch, I've had a couple people tell me that the Dallas is looking at overloading the 17s. And I actually, in hindsight, I think that some of that, when they went out and crushed that St. Louis 14 to nothing, I think a lot of that actually was a Dallas Cup tune-up in the sense as they, as they brought down a bunch of dudes and loaded that team up. And I think they're going to load that team up and try and make a run at Dallas. Okay. GA Cup because they never won it. 
particularly of note, they're playing that same St. Louis team again. Uh, <laughs> the, do you know what day that game GA is Cup. and where they're playing it? Yeah, uh, yes, it's. Um, I have that right here in front of me. It is. Oh, it's down at the bottom of the article. Buzz, nice job. That is the second game, which is April 11th, which is that's Mon- Monday. It's right? the Monday that game. Monday? Yeah, that would be Monday. Yeah. 9 a.m. on Field 7 at Toyota. Uh, that's the, that'll be right. a rematch of that game. You have to. So they have, the 17s are playing the crew, St. Louis City, and, uh, and Cholos, Club Tijuana. Those are their three opponents. So the, if you're looking for pure Dallas talent, that team will be loaded up. If you specifically want to see Tariq um, Scott, who's the kid, the kid that scored two goals from Texas, I'm told he's probably playing most of the time with the U19 team. Um, now you guys, I've talked about this a lot. The fact that there's a bunch of young players playing up with the U19 team. And that's true. So they're going to be pretty young, uh, compared to the, most of the groups that they're playing against, but there's a bunch of good players in that team too. So, um, and then the U15s are also quite talented. Um, and so are the U14. So any of the Academy teams, the four FC Dallas Academy teams are, are worth watching in my opinion. So there's a quick, uh, GA cup versus Dallas cup primer, uh, uh, you, I, I will tell you in advance. I, I hear, I think that um, the keeper Julian Ison, that's the the seventeen year old keeper, the one who's six six and is such a huge prospect. I think he's hurt, so I don't think he's going to play uh, in the GA Cup, which is unfortunate because uh, that would have been a nice player for people to go look for and see. But but that team is that seventeen team is going to be stacked with talent, so people should go watch that one for yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, you know this is the first uh, Dallas Cup in several years where there are now international teams, but uh, the the limitation, the reason why you're not seeing a lot of the big name clubs is because uh, the tournament was only told and cleared by the U.S. Soccer Federation really late to allow those types of invitations. And by the time they got the ability to do that, uh, you know, clubs globally were just like, look, we can't work it out. It'll, it'll probably be next year before we start to see the return back to the real, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the typical Dallas cup, uh, type of lineups, especially at the super group level. So, um, uh, yeah. But yeah. If, again, if you're new, if you've never been to the Dallas cup, it's important to know there are only two sets of games where you have to get tickets. And those are the games at the, at the cotton bowl on day one, which is kind of the, uh, you know, uh, opening and all the pomp and circumstance around that. There's usually three game, three or four games at the cotton bowl on that first day. And then the games that are held at inside Toyota, a stadium that are all the playoff rounds and those yeah, you need in the championship yeah. rounds that's what you need tickets for but for the games that are being played at MoneyGram or Richland College or up at Toyota Soccer Center outside the stadium those are free for you to go to and uh, yeah. the Dallas Cup website will give you all the listings they've got an app uh, you can find the teams uh, they're always great to go to, uh, and I can't recommend highly enough to go soak in Dallas Cup games when you are given the opportunity. They are fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, there's honestly nothing like going totally unprepared to Richland or MoneyGram and just walking around. Yeah, take in a game, kind of figure out what it, what age group it is, what the teams are, and kind of like just just immerse yourself in it without actually like. Yeah, it's just such a different experience of like when you go to an MLS game and you know, you know, you know the teams, you know what to expect, mostly because you've listened to this podcast. Um, and yeah, it's just it's like just pure soccer. 
Yeah, the, the GA Cup had gone away for a year and then the pandemic happened. I think they were trying to move it away and like due to other venues. But because it's this is like I think this is the first one post pandemic, they've come back here again. And the GA has the U17 and U15 group, which are kind of loaded up like super groups. So the 19 super group is stacked. The 17s and the 15s for the GA Cup are stacked. And there's just there's quality teams all throughout the Dallas Cup. Boys and girls side, too. There's a bunch of really good girls games as well. So um, you remember the, the the girl we saw in the championship last year, um, Peter, that was so oh, spectacular. Oh, yeah. What was her name? Gosh, yeah. she was good. Uh, oh, I should have. Yeah, no, she was good. You know, the the thing about going to Dallas Cup is, is to Dan's point, you walk around and you'll see a Japanese team and you'll be amazed at just how the similarities and the differences. And then you'll go to another field and there'll be an El Salvadorian team or a, a team from Africa or, you know, or, you know, on a typical year, you'll see a bunch of kids wearing the jersey of one of the clubs that you watch every weekend. And you realize that these are the kids that make up their academy and that there's a really cool element of seeing that in the flesh. Uh, that is uh, my favorite part. It's really, really good. It's so much fun. So go see Dallas Cup games, please, everybody. All right. Uh, now that we've done all that, anything else we want to do now, Dan? Now, Dan, I think the podcast is over. It's okay. You can. You're all done. You're you're lifted okay. from the. I've got one little nugget. I love nuggets. What's your nugget? Just one. So, but Buzz was talking to Nico. I also spent a second talking to Nico because I was, you know, people keep asking in Discord, "What's with the wet field?" And you know, we ah. kind of like hypothesize it's probably. X, Y, or Z. So I was like, well, why not ask the man himself? So he says, uh, you know, kind of, kind of the main thing that we thought was maybe it's just, you know, speed up the passing game, get that zip on the ball. He said, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing he doesn't like about a dry or, or sticky field is how it holds the ball up and in the bounce um, for the defense. It kind of just allows, it gives them a little bit more of an advantage on a second ball. Um, and said, you know, it's a, it's been a big thing. The players have have encouraged it as much as he has. So that's why you see people slipping around a lot. Interesting. All right. Well, when you want an answer, you go to the source. Good reporting on yep. your part, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. It's okay. You can leave now and go take a nap because you sound very sweepy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, just stuffed up yeah like crazy are you taking yeah. your out al- your allergy pills your Z- zyrtec yeah it did absolutely nothing for flonase me. didn't work for you either uh i didn't take okay. that well, you should try it work some cocaine that'll help too mm. that's what buzz told it sounded like a ringing endorsement from buzz <laughs> yeah, then. that's what buzz just mm. buzz loves to talk yeah. about cocaine yep all the time all right. Thanks, Dan. It, thanks. Uh, it's good talking to you, dude. You too. All right. Buzz, thank you, sir. You're welcome. Can't wait to the Dallas Cup. <laughs> Man, if you guys, and here's the other thing if you see Buzz at the Dallas Cup, go say hello to Buzz. He loves to meet and greet people. So mm, go, yeah, I do. go over, shake right. his hand, tell him how much you love his work, and yeah. let him meet you. Well, the one caveat. Ask him who the number sixty-seven is. Yeah, the one caveat is that please don't stand there and talk to me for an hour because I'm probably taking notes on the game. But (laughs) for sure, come up and yeah, don't distract me from the game. But come up and say hello. I want to meet everybody. I want to talk to people. But don't then badger my ear off for an hour while I'm trying to watch the Dallas Cup. Badger him in between games. 
Yeah, I so don't know. Who's that about? Nobody specifically. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Oh, I know who it's about. Uh, yeah. Who, who, who would you say was no, about? No, I'm not going to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you can tell me we're number one. No, it, it's about no one specifically. And I ordinarily, I love to talk soccer with much as anybody. But, you know, like if I'm taking notes on a game, I'm trying to wor- work. This is I'm trying to get this thing going. So I can't spend an hour talking to you about U14 team, you know. Some come say hello. Yes, I love everybody. Come, come meet me, and tell me your name so I know who you are. You know, but don't then don't stand there for an hour asking me questions. That's all. I'm a jerk. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hi, this is Jed Johnson again. Remember, Third Degree is sponsored by Soccer 90, located at Toyota Stadium next to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Check out all of the new soccer gear that's been arriving, and shop Soccer 90 for all of your FC Dallas needs. All third degree listeners receive 20% off their purchase when you use code third degree at checkout on soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Okay, so the lesson learned is stay away from buzz. That's what I uh, just no. don't listen to Peter. It's Especially not, on a cocaine. That's, right. that's not the lesson. That's not the lesson. <laughs> Bus on a cocaine biz <laughs> at a Dallas Cup game. <laughs> That's very funny to me. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. But seriously, watch the Dallas Cup. I'm not a bad person. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, never again. Third degree, the third degree, never again.